Good morning. Good morning. Take your Bible. 5 and verse 16. Last night on New Year's Eve, there were some of us gathered here together, and we looked at this famous verse, and it says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And I asked the question, what does it mean to redeem the time? And um, one of the kids got the question right, right off right. It means to buy back. It means to buy back. So then, for those of you who weren't here, um, I asked how many of them could sell me any of 2022 back, because, you know, we only had three hours left. You know, could anybody sell me back or that I could buy back any of, any of 2022? So I got the same question. I'm still looking for somebody who can sell me some of 2022, because I didn't get everything done I wanted to get done in 2022. So can somebody, somebody here, please sell me some of 2022? Last night I offered a dollar, <laughs> then five, then 10, then 20, then 50, then 100, then 600. Nobody could sell me any of 2022 back. So what's it mean to redeem the time? This morning, we're going to look a little bit at the book of Acts, but before we do, I'd like to just for us a moment to take some time to apply and to think about at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16. How can we redeem the time? We can't buy back anything that's already passed. So how can we redeem the time? Boy, you all must have stayed up after midnight last night. Nathan, use our time wisely. Very good. How? How do I use my time wisely? Yes, sir. Get rid of the guilt. Stop spending time with guilt and focus on what's next. Very good. How else can we redeem the time? Hopi? By being good. Rather than being what? Sinful. Yes. Very good. How else? Yes, sharing the gospel with others. How else can I redeem the time? Mr. Sousley? By being intentional and spending time with the Lord. Okay, Micai, do you know what it means to be intentional? Nope, I didn't expect you to. That's why I asked you. On purpose. That's right. Making, well, to use a phrase from Daniel, he purposed in his heart. It's making a plan. It's doing something on purpose. That's what it means to be intentional. How else can I redeem the time in 2023? Yes. Give back to Christ what Satan has stolen. What's that look like? Can you flesh it out? Yes. Yes. How else can I redeem the time? How else? Doing your reasonable service. So as you're presenting yourself back, it's doing a reasonable service. Very good. How else can I redeem my time? Ah. Yeah, that was one of the things last night where I said when nobody, could, nobody would give me $600, it's like, well, actually there is a way money can redeem time. And he's kind of pointed one of those things out. You know, the only reason I do my breaks myself is because I do it with one of my kids. Because the truth of the matter is, it's a whole lot wiser in my current financial state to be able to pay somebody else to do my breaks than for me to do it. But I do it because I want to do it with my son. But there you could see a way where if I didn't have that relationship-building aspect it would probably be a wiser way of redeeming the time for me to actually use money to bless someone else to do something to help me so that I can be doing something else that I can do, spending time with my kids. 
Now, that can go all different ways, and it makes a difference in all different financial structures of a person's life as well as other things, but it's an interesting part of how money, in a little tiny way, can redeem time um, in a different way. How else? How do I redeem my time in 2023? Any other ideas? Yes, Mr. Densmore. Keep track of how I'm spending my time. Ah, uh, yes. You know, that can be, you know why I don't like doing that, though, Mr. Densmore? Is it makes me feel guilty. But then that's where this comes into place, doesn't it? You see the tally balance? It is good to be keeping track of our times to see how we're using it or wasting it. And then when we be like, I'm not doing this anymore, it just makes me feel bad, then remember, forgetting those things which are behind and press towards the mark to do better. Love it. Thank you. How else? How can I redeem my time? Brother Sousley? Get off the screen, Get off the screen and in your Bible. It's really true, very true, in lots of different categories. How else can I redeem my time? So a time of, to put it in general universal, fellowship time with other believers. Yes, yes. Now, let me ask the question a little bit different. So we've talked about redeeming the time. Mm, because the days are evil. What in the world does that have to do with redeeming the time? What's it mean that days are evil? Does that mean that every single one of my days are just evil days? That sounds like days not worth living, right? I'm being facetious. Help me out here. If they're evil days, then I wouldn't want to have anything to do with them, right? Do you follow why we need to redeem the time? Because if we're not redeeming the time, then yeah, the evil of the days will just keep on being evil of the days. Let me look at it a different way. We often think of evil as morally wrong, wicked, sinful, don't we? But the Bible uses the word evil both in that context, but also in a way in which because there is sin and the world is under a sin curse, we have problems. And so it's not always just because there is sinful wickedness that it's an evil day. It could be calamity and problems. Now, redeeming our time is really important to be looking at it to say, you know what? My adversary, my flesh, the trouble and chaos of this world are always trying to take and steal my time. So I need to be intentional. I need to not be held back by guilt. I need to look forward to be wisely using my time, as someone said. And what does it have to do with the days are evil? You know, these last two weeks, there have been so many exciting opportunities of parties and celebrations with family and spending time with family and then getting into auto accidents and having my brakes seize up and then having to deal with this big, big bad problem that was only, only supposed to take an hour and it took about 11. And, and then there was another problem over here that was just actually really hard. And it should have only, well, I knew it was going to take a long time. But you know what was hard? Is that once I got through that, it carried on burdening me down through the day. And you know what? There were so many things that just wanted to steal my time. I had to redeem the time because if I wasn't redeeming the time, there were things I couldn't do that I needed to do and some things I wanted to do. And so I found myself this past week looking at with all the plans because, you know, just there were different activities and, you know, I got invited to so many. You know how many parties this week I had to turn down? It was amazing. I wanted to go to all of them, but I had to turn so many of them down partly because I had to redeem the time and I had to choose where and priorities of really what it came down to, people. 
spending time with people. But you know what? That meant I was spending less time with me. And all of you are like, oh, no, we don't do that. Yeah, we do. And we need to be redeeming time that we're spending it with our God and investing in others. So before we go on, any other, any other um, comments, thoughts, suggestions, how we can live? How do I redeem the time? How do you redeem the time? And what difference does it make that the days are evil? <clears throat> Yes, yes, yes. I hope you all were able to hear that. I got lots of takeaways from that. Needing to be filled with the Spirit, but also provoking one another to love and good works and encouraging each other. You know, one of the reasons why sometimes we're, we're not real good about encouraging one another is because we're ashamed of how we did our, spent our week. Well, that comes back to, again, we may be ashamed, but let's, let's confess our faults and let's encourage one another to continue on to, to change those bad habits, those ways to do better in the coming day, in the coming week. There's one other truth I'd like to share on this, and that has to do with what is my life. I've believed on Jesus. I have received everlasting life. Have you? I hope you have. Have you believed on Jesus? If you have, you have everlasting life. And it reminds me of what Brother Isinger shared a few moments ago about taking back or giving back. It's really not my life. It's about Jesus. I have life, and it's everlasting life, and it's Jesus' life. And so when I'm redeeming the time, really, I am just simply living Jesus' life or letting Jesus live his life through me. That's the key part of redeeming the time. Okay, before we go on, any other thoughts? Bruce, give him your burdens. Yes, sir. Oh, that's a big one because those burdens can hold you back. You fret over them too, can't you? Give Jesus your burdens. Very good. How else? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Don't put the urgent before the necessary. It is true. Don't eat the bread of sorrows at night. Yes. We need our sleep. When I think about being redeemed from evil, um, around us there's a lot, maybe not murder, but there's evil. And sometimes it gets to me. <laughs> like even just things I hear at work or something, it weighs me down. Mm. Yes, we all really hear that. That was very profound. Is that the days are evil. There's lots of evil around us. And are we going to our God? Are we, are we letting him lift us up out of it in those days? Did I just summarize it, just of it? Wonderful. Anyone else? Brianna. Yes. Did you all hear that? Bearing one another's burdens means two things. One, of helping other people, but also means of being there willing to receive help. That's a big one, by the way, for us self-sufficient Americans. Because we, and, and it's a tough one, too, because we also have a sense in which we need to be personally responsible. But yet then we also need to be humble to receive help. Very good. Anyone else? Other thoughts? Yes, sir. Uh, the days of evil can often seem like a negative, but you can turn that to a positive. 
because when you're around unbelievers, they see the evil in the world. They know that there's trouble. They know that there's problems. And yet they don't always have an answer or solution. Mm -hmm. And so to redeem your time because the days are evil, if you do get in a conversation with somebody that is talking about the evil parts, you can turn that into a conversation about Christ. Because oftentimes I, I will hear people, unbelievers, complain about all the evil in the world, whether it's politics or crime or whatever it is. They see it. They know it's there. They just don't know what to do about it. Right. Right. Very true. And there's another piece to it on the time, is the taking the time to hear others' sorrows and struggles and questions, and then taking the time to seek and to provide hope. Because sometimes we get so busy, and we think we're redeeming the time because we're so busy. But sometimes that busyness keeps us from actually stopping to hear, to listen, and to give hope. Yes, yes. Anyone else? Brother Sousley. Yes, yes, yes. Very true. Did you hear that phrase, divine appointment? That's sometimes used and sometimes might be labeled as um, Christianese. You know, we have Chinese, Vietnamese, and that's sometimes called Christianese. I don't think there's anything wrong with Christianese, but it is important for us to understand what those words or phrases mean. And a divine appointment, divine means God, an appointment is like an appointment on a schedule. And sometimes we have all kinds of appointments on our calendar, and, and divine is God decides to add something to our agenda. And we got to be careful that our agenda, or lack thereof, don't cause us to miss those appointments that God puts on our agenda. And it's, it's really important, and sometimes it can be easy to overlook. I mentioned just this past week, I had a crazy busy week, and I had a series of a divine appointment where I, I saw someone I hadn't seen in 20 years. That was a divine appointment, and it really was, and it turned into just, and it was really difficult because I had a meeting, then I had another meeting followed back, right back to back, and, and you know what? I, I had to send a quick text and say, I'm going to be late for this meeting because I don't know how long this is going to take, but this is something that I, I just can't ignore the fact that I see a person I haven't seen in 20 years, and I, I need that. that. That was a divine appointment to change my schedule. Yes, very good. So divine appointment, letting God add things to your agenda. Really not necessarily add, I think. It's more change. Anyone else? Okay. Well, what I'd like to do now is to move on. Um, Brother Matt Reisinger is going to be preaching for us this morning, and we're going to be learning more of what it means to be sending a missionary. And then also this afternoon, we're going to have a discussion and Q&A on a little bit of the practical side of what it means to send a missionary. What I'd like to do here this morning is to set our frame of mind in the history of missionaries and in the early church of when they sent forth a missionary, and um, that <clears throat> that begins. You might be surprised. It begins way, 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 way back before the foundation of the world. You see, before the foundation of the world, even before the world was created, God knew His most cherished creation, man, would sin against Him and need a Savior. And even before the foundation of the world. He purposed to send his only begotten son to be our savior. And that triggers in a worldwide commission that Jesus gave to his church, his body, to go and teach all nations, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature, to disciple every single creature, and to baptize them. That is our commission. That is what Jesus gave to us before he ascended up into heaven. And then you remember a man named Saul? Maybe some of you don't. In fact, I know some of you don't know who Paul, Saul is, whose name later changed to Paul. Saul was a man who was cruel and mean and wanted to persecute. That means cause trouble, make it life miserable, hurt people who believed in Jesus. 
And he did. In fact, Stephen, one of the very first deacons, was stoned to death. Maybe you wouldn't have accepted the job of deacon if you knew it meant you got stoning. Well, Stephen didn't know it meant he was going to get stoned either. But it was a troublesome time, and Saul was a man who was causing a lot of this trouble. But God gloriously saved this man, this man Saul, and this man, his life changed, and he became one of the early missionaries in the church of going forth to tell the gospel to every creature. And we learned that he, before he even became a missionary, as we sometimes think of the word missionary, he was already faithful in his home church, in his local church, in ministry. <clears throat> if you take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, we, for sake of time, we don't have a lot of time here this morning, so really what I'd like to do is give a little bit of an overview, and then I'd like for us to just read the history and so that we can set the history in context of our perspective on these things. <clears throat> Before that, though, let's set ourselves in, in time in the history. I'm curious, without me telling any of you, do any of you, can you give me a date as to when you approximately think that Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven? An approximate date, anybody? I saw one hand pop up. Yes. Yeah. 80, 30, the 33 period of time is about when that was. And so here in our timeline, up at the top, you may or may not be able to see it, but we have there kind of a timeline chronology where it starts there at 8047. 8047. The bottom of this has the chapters, and I know you probably can't see it, but the first missionary journey occurred approximately in the years 8047 through 48. And that's what we're going to read about here this morning in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And as you know, there's a whole lot of other detail that falls into play following that with Paul's second missionary journey, third missionary journey, and then the many epistles that he wrote. Well, where was this church that Paul was ministering in. It says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Hanan, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. These were a group of men who were at the church of Antioch. Now, on this map, we'll find out two Antiochs, but this is the one here north. Just to give you perspective, Jerusalem's way down here at the bottom, way down here at the bottom, way far north, Antioch, <clears throat> Antioch of Syria. This is Antioch of Syria. So we have these men who are faithfully ministering there in this church in this region of Antioch of Syria. And you know we have churches in different cities. We have a church down in Jerusalem, and we have churches that are spread throughout, and they're spreading on and on. Well, here now we have a local church in Antioch of Syria. We have some faithful servants ministering in that church. And it tells us in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Now there's two men in particular, Saul and Barnabas, whom God has a special mission for to be set apart. They're separated, set apart. So the church took this very seriously, so seriously that they fasted and prayed, affirming, confirming what the Holy Spirit was leading them in. And so then they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they here, Paul, Paul or Saul and Barnabas, they went forth by the Holy Ghost, who's the one primarily who sent them, and departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And so we've looked a little bit before, a few weeks ago, about what it means to be sent, and here we see the Holy Spirit sending them, and then we see the local church sending them, and they go away. They just begin this journey. And so here they are at Antioch, and they sail over to Cyprus. And this is a beautiful island where there are people who need Jesus. 
And it tells us when they were in Salmes, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to be their minister. So now we find out this is a missionary team, which I think is also a very important model, that it not be just loners, but a team. We have Saul and Barnabas and John. We often call this John, John Mark. He's there with them to minister. So they've come here to Cyprus, and they're ministering. And it says that when they had gone through the island to Patmos, so here they've landed on one side, and now they travel across the island to Patmos, there they find a certain sorcerer. Oh, they find trouble, a sorcerer, a false prophet, that is one who tells lies, whose name was Bar-Jesus. That means son of Jesus. Well, it tells us that he was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus. So there was a man who was a ruler, a governor in that region, over that island, uh, that region, and Sergius Paulus. And apparently this, um, the, this sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, was causing a lot of trouble. But this man, this ruler, he was a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now, this is fascinating because we have here a man who doesn't even believe in Jesus, and yet he desired to hear the word of God. How much more should we as Christians who believe in Jesus, who have copies of his word, long and desire, desire to hear the word of God? But Amias, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Right off here in this missionary journey, they face trouble, opposition from this man, trying to teach people not to follow God. But then Saul, who also is called Paul, that's his Greek name, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him and said, O oh, full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Paul rebukes this man and calls him out for trying to draw people away from the gospel. His question is a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. Do we do things do we say things, sometimes by being a devil's advocate, sometimes by being just an arrogant Christian, one who perverts the right ways of God? This is no, seri this is no joking matter. It's serious. For Paul continues and says, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, and not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. This was a literal blindness, darkness that came upon this man. But you know how often it is for those who are perverting the right ways of the Lord to find themselves walking in darkness, a spiritual darkness? It's a troublesome problem. But then look at verse 12. The deputy, when he saw what was done, believed being astonished at the miracle. No, it says he was astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. He heard the teaching of the Lord, and he believed. I wonder, here we see a man who is desirous to hear the word of God, and when he hears it and it's taught to him, it says he's one who is astonished at the doctrine. I want to be like that every day. I want to be every day desiring to know God's word, and every day I want to be looking for things that will change my life that I believe. It tells us now, when Paul and his company loosed from Patmos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. So they leave this region, here's Cyprus, they're on this island, and they go up north to Perga in Pamphylia, the region of Pamphylia. So now they come up to the main continent, continuing their journey. And here it tells us, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. John Mark leaves. We don't know why he left. We have no idea why he left. I want to speculate. I want to share my speculations, but I don't know that it's really worth it at the moment. All we know is that it very much troubled and discouraged Paul. Very much so. 
We find that out later. John Mark left. But whatever his reasons are, I ask myself the question, will I keep on being faithful every single day, even in the midst of trouble and persecution or problems, or whatever? That's one of the reasons why I don't know. I think God purposely didn't tell us what the problem was with John Mark. I believe he purposely didn't tell us it so that we wouldn't just, okay, that was John Mark's problem. I don't got that problem. Go on. But for us to see what's, what's, what's the things that's distracting us from the focus of our mission. What was all taking place? Well, John Mark, he leaves. He departs. He returns down to Jerusalem. But when Paul and Barnabas, meanwhile, had departed from Perga, they came to Antioch. This is not the Antioch hometown. This is not Antioch of Syria. This is Antioch of Pisidia, here up on the northern side. They came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. They went into the synagogue. That's where the Jews meet to worship outside of Jerusalem. On the Sabbath day, Saturday, the day the Jews worship, and they sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have heard any word, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now that's kind of strange that they just asked these two strangers who showed up to speak. Maybe not. Paul likely had been known to them. Paul was actually a rather famous person. And here now he shows up and he's asked to speak. And so then Paul, he stood up and he, beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. He says, listen up. He's got something to tell them. And look how he begins in verse 17. The God. He begins with God. He's speaking mostly to Jews, but he's also speaking here to those who fear God. That's why he says men of Israel and those who fear God. He's not in Israel. He's way up north in Pisidia. And up there, there were Jews and there were those who feared God. There was those who believed in God, even though they were not Jews. So he's going to address both of them. And he says, the God of the people of Israel char chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. He talks about our fathers. Now, he's talking to Jews here and people who are very familiar with the Jewish religion. I hope you are. Now, I don't know if any of you are Jews, but I hope that you have been so taught the scriptures from a child, you have the knowledge of what a Jew would have had. And I hope that you would understand when he says the fathers who he's talking about. Who might that be? Who might be this father he's talking about? Abraham, that's right. Abraham was chosen and he was given promises that his descendants would be as the stars of the heaven and as the sand of the sea. He talks of them being exalted, but he also talks about them as the strangers in the land of Egypt. They weren't just strangers. They were strangers who became slaves in the land of Egypt. But this God, the God with a high arm, arm speaks of power, of strength, he brought them out of it. And you remember Moses along with Aaron, they brought them out of it. And there's a whole long backstory history to that. You remember the signs of the serpent that was given. You remember the plague of the river turned to blood, the plague of the frogs. Oh, this is one of your favorites. The lice, the flies, the plague upon the beasts and the animals, the ashes spread before the king. Then came the plague of boils. Then there was a plague of hail that destroyed much of the lives, much of the crops. And what wasn't destroyed by the crops came the plague of the locusts that ate up everything that was left. And if that wasn't bad enough, then there was darkness where you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And it came to the final conclusion of the death of the firstborn. This was the mighty high arm. Pharaoh thought he was great in all of these judgments. He refused to listen. And he really refused to listen when his own firstborn son was killed that night. We call the Passover because the death angel passed over the homes of those who obeyed of the Jews. And their firstborn were spared. Even though, you remember, the high and great Pharaoh didn't let the people go. Well, he let the people go, but then he pursued after them and trapped them at 
the Red Sea where God with a high arm. Do you see this high arm? I mean, wow. We ask the question of how to apply the scriptures. Here's one. How is God's high arm in my life? Wow. We can record all of this back in the days of Egypt and, and in the days of the wanderings. And wow, the high arm of God splitting the Red Sea that they can pass over on dry lands. For indeed, with a high arm, the God of this people brought them out of it. And about the time of 40 years, you know what? He suffered their manners in the wilderness. I love how that's put. I haven't studied this in the Greek to know or the Hebrew to know exactly what that word manners means, but it's really intriguing to me because sometimes bad manners irritate us, don't they? And bad manners just cause us to want to be like, done with them. God suffered. That doesn't mean that he just suffered. He did suffer, I think. I know he suffered. But not only did he suffer, he showed them compassion. When they demanded food, he gave them food to eat. When they demanded it, he gave them manna every morning for 40 years. Every morning, except on the Sabbath day. And gave them special provision for that. Otherwise, all this, he suffered them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations... Well, before we go on to that, some other ways. You remember in that suffering, their manners, even when he had provided all of them, they go and set up a golden calf and say, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. This is Jehovah, the blasphemy that he had to suffer. But then it says that he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. He divided their land to them by lot. Here, Joshua and the conquering of Ai. And then continuing, it divided the land by lot. The promised land was divided to them by lot. There you see it. We, we talk about that a lot. It's interesting here. Why is they, Paul, Saul, is talking about this history, this geography, even just right here, inferring to it in his sermon. And then it tells us, after this, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And we remember those judges, 450 years of those judges, the cycle of the judges, as the people, as recorded in Judges chapter 2, they, they left the Lord and they committed sin and idolatry and they became slaves and then they cried to God in judgment and God raised up a judge to them and delivered them through that judge. And the people, many served the Lord, but alas, then they left the Lord and this cycle of the judges repeated over and over and over here as here, Paul is preaching a space of 450 years until Samuel, the prophet. Remember the little boy whom God called? And he says, here am I, here am I, here am I. That little boy, Samuel, the prophet. And afterward, they, the nation of Israel, desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And just as so true. Saul reigned for 40 years. And when he had removed him, you remember because he had sinned, Saul had been rejected as king. He, the Lord, raised up unto them David to be their king, the little shepherd boy, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Daniel had a focus and a vision of doing what was right. God revealed to him prophecies and promises of the Messiah. And then look at verse 23. It says, Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. David, he was king, and he had a son named Solomon who had a son, Rehoboam, Abijah, and you can see all their names listed of these sons, the seed of David continuing on down. You notice at one point the crown disappears from their head. But nonetheless, now he declares that this is, this is the promise made to Israel, to David, and it's through his seed, verse 23, that there is a Savior raised up who is Jesus. Then he talks about and he says, and when John, this is John the Baptist, now in the times just just before Jesus' ministry, had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. That's interesting. He's assuming these people have heard about John the Baptist because I think they had. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? John the Baptist asked this. I am not he, meaning I am not this seed of David. I'm not this Savior. 
But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. And so now Paul, in telling them the message John the Baptist had preached, he looks to them all and he says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, all of you here who are of Jews and those who fear God, not Jews, but yet believe the God of the Jews, to you is the word of this salvation sent. You see here, the sending of the missionary is to send to bring this message. This message is presented very, very uniquely and distinctly to a Jewish people and those who had a Jewish background. That's why all the history is there. Significant and important for them to understand and identify him. And this is being brought. Here is, this is the message. This is the word of the salvation sent. This is why Paul and Barnabas were sent forth from the church at Antioch to send this message of salvation. For now he goes on to talk of how Jesus was the Savior. Verse 27, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not. John chapter 1 says Jesus was sent unto his own, the Jews, but his own received him not. They knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. All the Jews had heard over and over about this Savior coming. They'd heard it every day in their Sabbath day. They have fulfilled the prophecies, Paul says. They have fulfilled those prophecies in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired that Pilate, he, Jesus, should be slain. They desired this of Pilate. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, here again he's talking to the Jews, reminding them, your own prophecies said this would happen, and your own people fulfilled it, all that was written of him. All of this. Verse 28, it says, and though they found no cause of death in him, yet... Desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And that's exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was hung upon a tree, and he became a curse, not for sins he had done, but for my sins and your sins, the Jews there in Antioch of Pisidia. There was why he had died upon that cross. It says in verse 29, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God, but God raised him from the dead and he was seen many days of them which come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are his witnesses unto the people. Not only did he rise from the dead, but there are those who are witnesses of him and who actually witnessed him ascending up into heaven. And now Paul, he says in verse 32, and we, Paul and Barnabas, declare unto you glad tidings. We are here to evangelize. Evangelical message. The glad tidings. This is the word good news the gospel. This is what they're here to declare. This is why they were sent the word of salvation. We declare to you the glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto our fathers all the way back in, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. And he gets into some theological discussion here with those Jews, and I hope they all didn't check out on him. In fact, I know some of them did, and I know some of them didn't. But he gets into some theological discussion about this psalm. Right in the midst of this sermon here, he says, quotes this psalm, Thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that, he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He saith on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he also saith in another proverb, Another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And Paul looks at everybody, he says, for, for David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, he, he fell on asleep. 
and was laid into his fathers and saw corruption. But he, that is Jesus, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. Here now we get a little theological lesson on these psalms. He's exegeting. He's exegeting these psalms and teaching the people what they mean, talking about how this isn't about David, but this is actually a prophecy of Jesus. I see a little phrase there that's fascinating to me. You know, we, I encourage you to look for those things you can apply in your own life. Do you notice how he described David as the one who served his own generation? He served his own generation. I ask myself the question, would I be cited in a thousand years after my death as one who served my generation? And you might say, Pastor, you're not that famous, and you're right, I ain't, and I won't be remembered for a thousand years. Or will we? In a thousand years, when I stand before my Jesus, will he see me as one who served my generation as a good and faithful servant? There will be a thousand years in the future. And will I be known as one who served my generation? Will you? Here, all of this is to teach that Jesus is the Savior. And he says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that though this man has preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, here again is the reason why Paul and Barnabas have been sent, to preach the forgiveness of sins that is through Jesus. And he says, By him all that believe are justified from all things, from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. He says you can't be justified by keeping the law, by doing good things. You can only be justified by believing in Jesus. This is the good news. This is why missionaries go forth. Have you believed in Jesus? Do you trust him? It's all who believe. Have you believed? Are you part of that all? He's given good news. Then he says, beware, beware. This is important for a lot of you kids here. You've heard a lot about the prophets in your homes and in this church. You've heard a lot about the Bible. Are you, are you obeying it? Listen to this warning. Beware, therefore, lest that came upon you which was spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wander, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. I declare to you that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again, and he alone can forgive you your sins and save you. Believe on him. Beware that you not reject him. Now it tells us that when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. I think that's fascinating. You know why? Because he did a whole lot of Jewish history. And I think the Gentiles are sitting there going, what? Who in the world is this guy talking about? But they're actually kind of intrigued. And so instead of going home and going, that's all over my head, they come to Paul and they say, will you explain your sermon to us next week? Now, I don't think they went jam jumpy to him like that, but I think they were, they, they were like, will you explain your sermon? I want to know what you're talking about. Well, you know what happened the next Sabbath day? The whole city assembled together because the good news was being spread. Everybody, and this isn't a Jewish city. This is, this is, yeah, there's a lot here. Well, we find here, as we have to wrap up for today, in verse 43, that when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and the religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. Many believed in him. And Jesus, and they followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking unto them persuaded them, and look at this, to continue in the grace of God. That is a little hint to tell me that these, these people already were believers. They were already regenerate because they had already trusted in God. And now when they had heard about Jesus, the message for them was to continue in the grace. And that's what some of them did. And so... The next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together. Why? It must have been to watch a baseball game or a football game. No, the whole city came together to hear the word of God. And now there's another problem. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. 
They didn't like this. See, they wanted to be what they thought. They thought Paul and Barnabas were popular. They kind of missed it. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas that was popular. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ that was gaining attention. And that distracted from their own little system of religion. And they, they didn't like that. They become envious. And they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas, they waxed bold and said, It is necessary that the word of God should have first been spoken to you, to the Jews, but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for the salvation unto the ends of the earth. We're out of time. But can I point out something here that he gave to these Jews of a rebuke? That hurts. He has preached to them hope. He's preached to them Jesus. He's preached to them everlasting life. And these men, because they're so stuck on their own religion, form of religion, their own sense of popularity and self-worth in this region, Paul says that they have judged themselves unworthy of everlasting life. And you might think and say, well, wait a minute. If they judged themselves unworthy, maybe they thought they were too bad of sinners. No. These were people who thought themselves too good. And Paul puts it in this way, to be worthy of everlasting life. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, there's a temptation for some to think they are unworthy because of things they have done. Paul had done some pretty wild, evil things, and yet the grace of God was sufficient to save him. Here you have a group of people who thought themselves the religious superior people. The grace of God is able to save them too, but they didn't see themselves as worthy. They thought they themselves were worthy of saving themselves. Let's not be guilty as they were of this. But look what the Gentiles' response was. When the Gentiles had heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. This is the missionary work. The word of God, the word of the Lord, published throughout all of the region. And just so you know, it made a lot of people mad so that that region, Paul and Barnabas, had to leave. But it wasn't all bad because they're going to go to the next town, the next region, and keep on spreading the gospel. Where they leave Antioch of Pisidia, and now they go on to Iconium. So many parts of this. It was to proclaim the gospel. That's why they were sent. Will we be faithful? Will we serve our generation? Will we preach the gospel? Will we support missionaries to preach the gospel to every creature? Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you this day for your love and goodness to us. We need you in all things. We praise your holy name. Amen.